My name's Josh, and about 12.15 today, our third service is going to wrap up. And I'll hang around for a half hour or so. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just be out and about and kind of help kind of lock up the church, close down things. But around 1 o'clock, I'm going to pile into my truck with my wife, my dog, some Christmas presents and some clothes, and I'm going to hit the road. I'm going to head down 69 to 465 to 70, and I'm going to take 70 for about four hours east, past Dayton, past Columbus. I'm going to jump up 77 north, wind through some back roads that make me nauseated every time I drive them or ride them because my wife loves to drive those roads, and I'll get to my in-laws for Christmas. And as soon as I get in the car, I know that they're going to start eating and opening presents tonight around 630. And I know that if it will take us a good five and a half to six hours to get there. And so I know as I'm driving, I'm going to be watching the clock. I'm going to be making sure that we're making good time. We're going to make sure that when we stop, it's quick. But I also know that it's a six-hour drive. I know that we'll have a dog with us. And I know that as much as I would like to, there's no way we're going to get there on time. And I don't know about you, but that drives me crazy. And, and the thing is, is that we are, we are kind of obsessed with time. You know, maybe, maybe for you, you're like me, and you've got Christmas things to go to. You've still got parties and events and, and, and things going on these next few days. Or maybe for you, your, your Christmas is kind of already wrapped up. And maybe you have a lot of free time. But even in that free time, you still count down the number of days you have left on vacation, on Christmas break, and you think about when you have to go back to work or to school. And if you haven't thought about that, sorry I brought it up. But we are completely obsessed with time. We have clocks everywhere. They're on walls. They're on our phones. They're on our computers. But we commonly ask, what time is it? We always want to know what time, what time it is. There's an entire industry built on time management. You can go to a Barnes & Noble or a Borders and walk and look at the time management section. And the irony of ironies is that you can waste a lot of time looking at books on time management. You can look at technology. You can look at some of the things that we think are convenient. You can think about watching a movie, and you used to drive to Blockbuster and rent a movie. And then all of a sudden, you could get a movie in the mail. But even that wasn't fast enough, and so now if you have the right device, you can press a button from your couch and watch a movie right then and there. We are very time-obsessed. It's our most valuable asset, but there's literally nothing that we can do to get more of it. We worry about time. We stress about time. We feel that time slips away. Whether we're having fun or whether it's going, going well or going bad, time is always a factor in what we're doing. And so maybe we ask ourselves, what time is it all the time? Maybe we look at the clock all the time. But at the end of our lives, we're never going to say to ourselves, man... I wish I would have slept in more. Or I, we're never going to say to ourselves, man, I wish I would have spent more time adjusting my fantasy football roster. At the end of our lives, things become clear, but right here and now, it's still pretty muddy. And we're not really sure how to spend our time. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be asking ourselves, instead of what time is it, how are we spending our time? And here in a moment, you're going to see an extended video clip of a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley. And, and we just felt that he did a great job of setting this whole issue up and a great job of, of kind of asking this question. 
And maybe watching a video at church is a little bit different for you, but I would encourage you to engage. I would encourage you to take some notes, to follow along in your Bible, to laugh when it's funny. I would encourage you to react to this and not just feel like you're at home watching TV. Because there's a very important question that I think we all wish we had a better answer to. And that's how are we spending our time? time conscious. Every once in a while, you'll lose yourself in a novel, or you'll lose yourself in a hobby, or you'll lose yourself in gardening, and you'll say something like this, well, I lost track of time. I just, I lost track of the time. But very quickly, you recover, don't you? And you figure out what time it is. We're very, very time conscious. The problem is, that's really not the most important question we should ask when it comes to time. And so for the next few weeks, I want us to begin asking a better question. In fact, as soon as I tell you what the question is, you're going to agree that's a better question. The better question as it relates to time is not what time is it, but what am I doing with my time? Not what time is it, but what am I doing with my time? The The problem with always checking to see what time it is, is that it's a constant reminder of the thing that is most depressing about you. And that's this. Your time is running out. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Your time is running out. And the problem is we have calendars that tell us how fast the months go by, that how fast the years go by. And then we look at our watches and we see how fast the hours go by. We see how fast the minutes go by. And then some of you have a second hand on your clock and you have no idea what it's there for. It's to remind you how fast, because with a second hand, you can actually watch your life slipping away. Tick by tick by tick by tick. It's absolutely, it's just absolutely depressing. And in fact, the older you get, the faster it seems like time goes by. And you may know this. There's actually a scientific explanation as to why as you get older, time seems to go faster. That's not just your imagination. You experience time as if it's going faster. When you were a kid, Christmas never got here. When you became an adult, it's Christmas. Like every time you turn around, it's almost Christmas. Or there's something related to Christmas. And so we're constantly reminded. So one of the worst things you can ask is what time is it? Because it's a reminder that your time is click, 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 tick, 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 just slipping away. Now, the whole idea of time going by quickly is actually a biblical theme. There's a great deal in the Bible about how quick time goes by. So I thought to start us off in this series, Time of Your Life, we take a, 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 we look at some happy thoughts from the book of Job. Because Job makes a couple of, what are you laughing at? We're making a couple of comments, those of you who read your Bible. A couple of, here's, here's what Job says to kind of, kind of get our head in the game. He says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and they come to an end without hope. You probably won't find that on a calendar or a Hallmark card or anywhere, right? But there's more. There's more. Job says this, too, in case you didn't get his point. He says, "Um, my days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Now, as sad as it is, and I promise the whole series won't be like this, it's it's a reminder of this thing that we're all aware of that we don't want to be reminded of. But every time we look at our watch or a clock on the wall, we're reminded that time is going by really quick. And in fact... If you haven't gotten to this point in your life yet, you will eventually. Um, You will get to a point where you quit thinking about how old you are and you will begin thinking about how much time you have left. Now, this generally happens in your mid-40s, okay? It's not the same date for everybody, but you get to a point where instead of thinking, I'm 18, I'm 21, I'm 30, happy 40th birthday, and then somewhere in there between 40 and 50 for most people, you're going to wake up one day, another happy thought, and you're going to be like, oh! I'm running out of time. Instead of looking back at how old you are, you're going to look out into the future and, and you're, you're going to sense that there's a finish line out there. And, and I remember when this happened for me, I kind of went into this neurotic thing to drive, to drive Sandra crazy. And I started saying this. I'd say, you know what? If we're going to do something, we better go ahead and do it. 
And she would say, do what? I'd say, I don't know. But if we're going to do something, we need to go ahead and do it. And she said, do what? I go, I don't know. But I feel like, you know, all those things that one day and someday and we ought to think about and we should, all of a sudden there was a sense of, oh no, I'm running out of time. If we're going to make our move, we better make it. And she would just kind of roll her eyes. And then I would think, well, you know what? One day you're going to wake up and quit thinking about how old you are. And you're going to go, you know, Andy, if we're going to do something, we need to go ahead and do it. Because there's something that happens in our minds. We quit thinking about how old we are. We start thinking about how much time we have left. Now, I'm tempted to ask you to raise your hand if you've gotten there yet. But I won't do that. But some of you, I can just already see, even in the camera, you're kind of like, yeah. And others of you are like, I need to pray for Andy. He has issues. So anyway, and then, then if that wasn't enough, someone introduced me to deathclock.com. How many of you have visited deathclock.com? Yeah, about six of you. Yeah, deathclock.com. Deathclock.com. If you're at home, you should go ahead and, and not here because you won't be able to pay attention. Deathclock.com is awesome. You go to deathclock.com, if you can say it, and you type in some information about yourself, and then it tells you when you're going to die. Isn't that great? I mean, don't you want to know? And then you can cheat. You can say, well, I'm not really that much of a pessimist and your spouse will go no no you're a pessimist okay because that knocks that knocks years off your life now all of that again is kind of sad but but the point is the point is time just keeps on clicking by it just does and we don't on one hand we don't want to be reminded of that on the other hand we're always saying what time is it what time is it what time is it look at the second hand where did the time go i lost track of time how could it be christmas again so maybe a better focus rather than what time is it even though you're going to keep asking that question is what am i doing with my time. Not what time is it, but what am I doing with my time? Maybe I should begin trying to live my life or spend my time because your life is your time. You know that. Maybe I should begin living my life, spending my time with the end in mind. Now, that's a big idea, and that's something we can't really argue with. And in that particular arena, we get some real help, not from Job. We're done with Job. We get some help from a guy we're all familiar with who, who wrote, a, a, whose story is a big part of the, the scripture, especially the Old Testament. His name is Moses. Uh, Moses, you may not know this, actually wrote one of the Psalms. When we think of the Psalms, we generally think of who? David, right? Because David wrote most of the Psalms. But actually, there is a Psalm that was written by Moses. And if you want to turn to it and follow with me, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90. This Psalm was actually written by Moses. Now, let me tell you why Moses is a great person for us to go to when it comes to learning about time. Here's why. Moses, um, as you know, he was, when he was a baby, he was a Hebrew, and he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised as an Egyptian. He learned to walk like an Egyptian, talk like an Egyptian, okay? <laughs> He did, really. He, he actually did. That's, that's where, anyway, so he walked and talked like an Egyptian. Then one day in his late teens or early 20s, he, he realized, you know what? I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. And the, the other Hebrews in my world are slaves. And he got fed up with the way the Egyptians treated the Hebrews. And so he decided to do something about it. So he killed an Egyptian. And then he killed another Egyptian. And then he thought... This is going to take like a long time. If I kill all the Egyptians, I don't know. That's not really what happened. Anyway, he killed two Egyptians and he was run out of the country. He fled for his life, actually. He ends up in the wilderness. So he went from one extreme to the other. He was like a prince of Egypt. And now he's a fugitive from the Egyptians living out in the wilderness, runs into a family of shepherds. They hire him. He becomes a shepherd. Now, here's the interesting thing. Moses spent 40 years. Just pause and let that settle in on you. 40 years. In fact, he spent what we would consider 40 of his best years, the best 40 years of his life. Moses spent 40 years doing nothing. Every day was the same. He did not even need a watch. 
If the sun was up, he was out with the sheep. If the sun was down, he was asleep with the sheep. If the sun was up, he was out with the sheep. If the sun was down, all he needed was to go outside and see where the sun was. He knew exactly what to do. Forty years. And Moses assumed no purpose, no God, no nothing. I'm just going to wait until I die and I finally get to the end of my time and my life is over. Forty years of nothing. And then after 40 years, God said, okay, I actually have a plan and purpose for your life. And he brings Moses out of obscurity. This is the part of the story, you know, takes him to Egypt, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no a few times. Pharaoh changes his mind. And then, you know, Moses becomes a household name and leads the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And we all know him. So now with all of that as a backdrop, I mean, he was like on top of the world. He's in the valley. He's back on top, 40 years of doing nothing. He had some incredible perspective when it came to time. And so in this Psalm, Moses gives us his perspective on how to view time. And here's what he's going to tell us before we look together. He's going to tell us this. Context is everything. Context is everything. That God has created a context and all of our little snippets of time, all of our little itty-bitty, seemingly at time insignificant lives, our 70 or our 80 years, and we think that's a long time, our little bitty you know, moments of time all fall within the context of what he's going to say is age to age, generation to generation, God. That there's a context, and if we will begin to view our lives within that context, we can discover the point of our few minutes, our few hours, our few years. And if we don't look at it within a context, we will get to the point where we will ask this question, what's the point? Now, here's something interesting about you and me. When we're young, we think we are the point, don't we? Isn't that true? I mean, when you're 18 or 19 or 20 and life's ahead of you, in fact, you're 18 or 19, 20, you're like, it's not? Yeah, you're still, you're at that stage where it's all about you, it's all about me. I am the point of life, that I am in the center and everything revolves around me. We can't help but think that way. And as we get older, we realize we're not the point and we begin to ask this question, what is the point of life? Because as we begin to look into the future, here's what we see. Wow, everybody's kind of the same. We're born. We go to elementary school, we go to middle school, we go to high school, we either get a job or go to college. Oh, there's two unique paths. We go to college, we get out of college, we get a job. Now we catch up with the people who skipped college altogether. Now we both have jobs and then we try to get married. Some people get married, some people get married two times, some people get married three times. Some people try to get married and then we have kids, then our kids grow up, then we retire and then we play golf and then we get sick and then we die. (laughs) Now, before you laugh, do you know... Of anyone that that was kind of their story? Yeah, like everybody you've ever known, that's kind of a version of their story. And at some point in life, we're like, what is the point of that? And then if you believe in reincarnation, I got some bad news for you. You get to do that again and again and again. And maybe you're right about that. The problem with reincarnation is you don't learn anything because you can't remember anything except I think I was Alexander the Great, but I'm not really sure, or Cleopatra or both. Or, you know, you know, so, and I'm not discounting reincarnation. I'm just saying you just don't learn a lot because you can't remember any of it. And if all there is to life is that whole sequence of things, and that's kind of the American version, there's a European version, there's an Asian version, but wherever you go in the world, whatever culture, it's everybody's, it's, it's, kind of the same and at some point you begin to realize i must not be the point what is the point and moses says heads up i'm gonna tell you because the reason it's so the reason you think you are the point and the reason you wonder if there is a point is because you don't understand the context in which god has given you these few years to live 
And so Moses explains all this to us in the form of a psalm. Now, a psalm is a poem, so it's a little flowery. It's a little tricky, but I want to read these verses to you, and we'll go through these together. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling. Our is the nation of Israel. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Next verse. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, that is, even before creation... I love this. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God, Moses is saying, okay, if you want to understand the the bookends of your life, the bookends of your life is not your birth and your death. The bookends is everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle. The context for your existence, the only way you'll ever understand purpose, the only way you'll ever come to a place where you can say, now I know the point of my life, is to understand that the context is everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle. That's the proper context for understanding the point of your life. He goes on. You turn people, and this is kind of like a Lord of the Rings Gandalf thing here. This is kind of cool. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. Isn't that kind of great? Return to dust, you shall not pass. You can kind of see the wind blowing, you know, and the thing. It's like, return to dust, you mortals. And and, and Moses is saying this. No matter how cool you are, rich you are, popular you are, and by the way, I'm Moses. No matter how what you've accomplished or how famous you are, at the end of it all, God says, return to dust, you mortal. He goes on. I thought this is amazing. You've heard something like this before, no doubt. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. A thousand years. A thousand years is like right before the Crusades. He says a thousand years in God's sight, like if you go from just before the Crusades to right now, that's like a day. And we're like, wow, that's quick. And then Moses says, no, actually, it's worse than that. Or like a watch in the night. A watch in the night, they would divide the night up into three or four periods and they would have a guard out on the castle or out around the sheep and you would keep, you'd get the first watch or the second watch. So a watch is like three hours or maybe four hours. Moses says, for God, a thousand years is like three or four hours. Now, don't do the math because you'll really be depressed. But if you think in those terms, how long is your life from God's perspective? Okay, if a thousand years is like three hours and you live 70 years, you're like, it's like when you think about how fast the government spends money. Have you seen that thing where it's like, you know, it's like when you die, okay, and let's say the government gets three or four hundred thousand dollars of your money. Do you know how fast it's spent before you can say the word spent is gone? Your whole life, you all this wealth you've amassed and the government gets a piece of it before way faster than anybody could write the check is spent. That's how quick your, your life is like, boom, your life's gone in, the, in this kind of context. It's like, well, just cheer us up. You know, why don't you Moses? He's going, hang with me, okay? Because this is just the reality. This is the starting point for any discussion about a person's life or time or like a watch in the night. <clears throat> Yet, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. You get up in the morning and there's new grass. And then he says this. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Now, he's saying this from the perspective of eternity to eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, this is what a person's life is like. It's like gone. It's just gone. It's like grass in the morning, it dies. It's like a watch. It's less than a watch in the night. Now, God's point and Moses' point, and we know this because of Moses' life, 
And we know this because of other things Moses says, and we know this because of what follows. Moses' point is not your life doesn't matter, even though that's how it feels. Moses' point is, hey, do whatever you want to because it doesn't matter. You're just dust to ashes to ashes and dust to dust. His point isn't that. His point is that there, your life is so brief. Your life is so common. Your life is so quick. Your life is so like grass. It's like dust that it is futile for you. And it is futile for me to try to create something meaningful on our own because the truth is we really don't have enough time. That if we try to jack up our life and our significance based on the bookends of life and death, he's saying, you know what? You just don't really have that much time to be that significant, really. Your only hope for purpose, your only hope for significance is to take your little your little moments of time and to interject them properly within the context of what God is up to in this grand story. Now, if, if that just seems so out there and intangible and impractical and, and you're not even sure you believe it, maybe the best way to understand this is to flip it around the other way because here's, here's what you and I know. If you have ever spent time with or worked for a person that tried to make the whole world about themselves, they never got over being 16, where they, you know, the whole world revolved around them. And if you're 16, I'm not trying to offend you. When we're 16, the world does revolve around us. But, you know, you got to move past that. But when you meet somebody who's 46 or 56 and they're still trying to be the center of the universe, have you ever worked for somebody like that, been a neighbor to somebody like that, voted for somebody like that, didn't know it, and, or watched as in other world, other economies or other nations of the world where a national leader rises up and it's, it's just all about them. Here's what happens, and we've seen enough of this with, in history. I mean, in our lifetime, a national leader, a president of a country was hung by his own people. We've seen this, okay? Go back to the Second World War. We've seen this. Um, look at different countries in the world. We've seen this. Look at some of the biggest corporations in America. We've seen this. Look at some current politicians. We've seen this. Here's what happens. When a person refuses to give in to the fact that there is, there is no significance apart from what God is up to in the world, and when they try to create significance just within the context of their life and their power and their wealth and who they know and what they're going to do, two things always happen. They always run out of time before they finish whatever it is they set out to do. And history never speaks well of them, ever. They always run out of time. And history never speaks well of them. Because intuitively we know when a person decides it's all about me and in my few years I'm going to make it all about me, that I'm going to be the center, I'm going to be the point. Whenever a person does that, there's something intuitively inside of us that's like, that's just not right. That's not a pleasant person. That's a person that leaves a trail of broken relationships behind him or her. And it's usually, unfortunately, a him, isn't it? This is how dictators become dictators and destroy nations and lead the world into war. This is how somebody takes a healthy corporation and demolishes it and walks away with something that's totally about them. But in time, as time goes by, history never speaks well of that person because there's something very small. And there's something very selfish. And there's something that we don't want to emulate. And it's a reminder to us that in our few years, with our few years, our greatest play, our greatest opportunity is not about making ourselves known and not about making the whole thing about us. It's got to be something else. Because even when a person has vast power and vast wealth and is able to do anything they want to with it and they choose to make it all about themselves, when all is said and done, they run out of time, they generally do not have a good end, and when they're judged by history... They get a double thumbs down. 
You can't make this work. You can't find real lasting purpose if it's all about you. It's been tried. It's never been done. And Moses, who could have pulled it off after all these Moses, he says, no, the context for your life, it's not your life. The big play, the big game, the big angle, the big stake, it's, it's not you. It's everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle who has invited you in to that context to find meaning and purpose in the course of your days. The context of our lives is not us. It's eternity, everlasting to everlasting, and God's in the middle of it. We want to we kind of create some space. We want to kind of give you some time, however you want to look at this, to ask yourself this question. Not what time is it, not how much time do I have left, but what am I doing with my time? What is it that I'm doing here and now with my time? And maybe you need to ask yourself, is it about me? Is it all just about me? Because if it is, you'll run out of time and you'll never be viewed well. Anytime that happens, those are the two things that always happen. Over the the next uh, few weeks, we're going to talk about some of the the practicals. We're going to talk about priorities. We're going to talk about even some basic ideas and concepts with this. And we'll get there. But right now, this is about you asking yourself, who is this about? How am I spending my time? You're going to hear a song. And, and during this song, after I pray here in a moment, this is your time. This is, this is time that we are setting apart. It would be really easy for us just to move right on. Maybe you're like me and you're already thinking about what's happening this afternoon. Maybe you're, you're thinking about what's coming next. It would be really easy for us just to dismiss and go on our way. But we want to create time. We want to create space for you to reflect on that. So I'm going to pray. You're going to hear a song. And you're going to have some time. Let's pray.